Welcome to Joyful Marketing. I'm Simone Soul, and I teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buy Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. My friends, I truly believe that every one of us, every single coach has this infinite well of creativity, genius, innovation, and wisdom. And if I had to think of one cause, one reason why so many coaches struggle to really like take all of it out and to use it and to share it with the world and, and profit and help people, it would be the issue of safety. We don't know how to feel safe. And we're on the whole, not terribly skilled as human beings at creating conditions of safety in our bodies. And I think this is just one of the most important things for us to talk about when it comes to business, right? I think that we so often think of our brains as these great big assets to to enlist in our business building, but then we don't get to use the full potential of our brains when our nervous system has shut down and has sort of blocked access to the best parts of, of our brains. So this is really like the first order of business, how to establish and create safety in your body. So that's why I've invited an expert on my show to talk about this. You're going to hear the conversation between myself and Sally Hardy, a brilliant coach and with a psychotherapy background who has an excellent grasp of the central nervous system and how it works and a really interesting um, way of teaching it to us. You know, we started talking and <laughs> the conversation was so juicy that I actually had to cut it into two parts. It's really worth taking the time and the care to listen to carefully. In, in part one, Sally and I are going to talk about why marketing and selling can be so triggering and how actually the workings of your central nerv- nervous system explain why you are stuck in all the places that you're stuck in around marketing and how prioritizing creating safety for yourself is so important. And also how it's different from just sitting around with, you know, a, a blanket pulled up over your head going, la la la, I don't know, and doing nothing. <laughs> and we're also going to discuss why sometimes we get stuck in feeling, you know, painful emotions that we can't seem to coach ourselves out of no matter what and what to do about that. And we're also going to talk about what I think is really important to address, which is times when thought work could be toxic to your system and how, how to know when it's time to do something else and why and how to do something else that's going to help and get you to a place where you can really use that logical cognitive thinking part of your brain. My friends, I think if all you took away from listening to our conversation is an awareness of when your body is not in safety and know the steps to move your body towards safety a little bit at a time, I think that is like literally a skill that's worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars over the course of your lifetime. Like I think that is the highest skill that you could have, not just for your business, but for all the other areas and dimensions of your life. So I offer this episode to you like a precious gift. Here's Sally and I talking about all things nervous system, safety, creativity, and authenticity. I invited you on because I wanted to hear your take on creating safety to market and sell in your business. So Sally is a member of the Sovereign Business Mastermind, and she's 
she's the specialist. She's the expert on creating safety for her clients. I've just been, I've just marveled at the way I've seen her show up over and over again for herself and her colleagues to identify how our triggers show up. I almost think of it as a kind of self-nervous system fluency. I just made that up. Mm, I love it. Yeah. It's kind of like being able to read what your own nervous system is doing and be able to like skillfully interact with that skillfully and compassionately interact with that as opposed to just always being in reaction to what your nervous system is doing. Right. So I call that, I just made that up nervous self nervous system fluency. And this isn't the first time we're talking about nervous system and safety on my podcast. It's one of the, the themes that are the dearest to me. And I think you have such a unique perspective to offer here. And if you are newer to listening to my podcast, I just feel so strongly, it's, it's a theme that we revisit over and over again, how marketing and selling, only a small part of it is about the tactical and the strategic and the what to do and when to do it and how to do it, et cetera, because we all have access more or less to the same blueprints, the same action steps, the same strategies that basically work. All of them work and what thwarts all of us. <laughs> And I, I count myself among you know all of us because I'm human too. Is the thing that you know flares up in our brains, in our bodies that says that this is not safe to say. It's not safe to show up. We got this response. It means that we did it wrong, and that these kinds of responses from our from our own bodies that keep us in doubt, that keep us second guessing ourselves, that keep us wanting to hide. And it puts us out of touch with our intuition, puts us out of touch with our own genius. It puts us out of touch with our creativity. doesn't matter the number of wonderful hacks and strategies and blueprints you have without that nervous system safety, you're not going to be able to put much of it to good use. And more importantly, you are basically living with all of your creativity and genius bottled up. So that's my little introduction on why this topic is so important to me. So Sally. Would you introduce yourself? Uh, you know, if there's anything I haven't mentioned that's important. Uh, well, one of the reasons that I did want to talk to you about this is I think that that marketing in general is such a, a trigger for the nervous system. As you've as you've covered, if you're in that stress response, you're not in flow. You're not. Nothing is easy. There's no. And in fact, really, if you're in that stress response, you can't chase your joy. So when somebody says, well, imagine what the, you know, what the best outcome would be. Imagine what your, your clients might want you to hear. How can you tap into their joy? Frankly, if you're freaking out, there is zero opportunity for you to do that because you're in a stress cycle. It's literally like so, putting blinders, putting blinders around your you eyes. Literally doing so that. You cannot think possibility, what possibility? Joy, what joy, right? And it's like, you can't yeah. see it. It's, your field of vision is literally like you're brain is blocking those other things out. So you cannot see them even if you tried. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Now you deal with this a little bit in your joyful marketing. You have a section in partnering with your central nervous system, which I thought was beautiful. And I really enjoyed going through that module. What I wanted to kind of pull apart was along with the kind of the the partnering of your central nervous system, what I have seen with a number of the peers, and I have felt it within myself as well, is that point where thought work isn't working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you're just stuck, you're, you, you don't know what's happening. Everybody is coaching you to the nth degree. 
and you're just white noise, like in your brain. It's just like, ah, there's things aren't making sense. Thought work isn't working. And the reason that it's not working is because you're so in your brain, you're so in your prefrontal cortex, you're so in this 4%, but it's not your 4% that's in control. You've basically, you had a coup in your body. Right. And it's your primitive brain. It's your unconscious. You're at 96%. Now, people disagree on this. Some people say it's 90, uh, what was it? 91% unconscious, 9% con- you know, Everybody can agree that it's a lot. <laughs> a lot. A it's lot. Vast majority of yeah. our brain is what goes on behind the scenes. It's like, it's the hardware. It's the, if you imagine like buying a computer from a shop, it's what comes preloaded. Yeah. And then what gets kind of inbuilt in those early, early years. So if you're in a stress response, there has been a coup in your brain. Could you just pause and define what a stress response is? Because I think that's some, that, that's an expression that I bandy about, we bandy about. Not everyone mm. might be familiar with exactly what we mean by that. And I want okay. I want to really help to build everybody's nervous system fluency vocabulary so that we have more of it, more of it in our culture w- with whatever influence I have. Like I want everyone to know what a stress response looks like. And how do I think that's yeah. so, so important. And I'm glad that you stopped me because like my brain is running at about a million miles an hour. That's what I'm here for. It's <laughs> absolutely perfect. Okay. So I imagine if you're thinking about stress responses, if you imagine like a triangle and if the, the level of activation, so the level of how your body is responding to something and bearing in mind at this point, we talk we're talking about neuroception. We're talking about your body receiving data from the world. This is not so much perception. We can talk about that in a minute, but this is neuroception. So this is literal data. This is touching a hot stove. This is noise. This is smell. This is what your body is receiving from the world. The very lowest level of activation where your central nervous system is feeding information to your brain is when we are in fawn or fit in. These two are more rarely talked about. People usually go, oh, stress response, you talk about fight or flight. But fawn and fit in are the lowest level. They are in your what's called ventral vagal parasympathetic nervous system. Fancy pants if anybody fancies Googling that. And what this means is that you will behave in a way that pleases other people or you'll behave in a way that keeps you kind of middle of the pack. So you don't want to be ahead and you don't want to be behind. Okay. Examples. Examples of example um, of fun. Not making so much money. So I don't want to make lots of money because then I'm going to stand out. And we've got expressions like the tallest poppy gets its head chopped off. And there's a Japanese expression of the, you know, the, the tallest nail gets hit. So there are all of these expressions, you know, people that are too far behind. But but equally, well. I'm not there yet. Like I'm behind. I want to be closer. I want to be in the pack. So people who maybe haven't achieved, thinking about it in a business sense, people who haven't achieved a certain amount of money in a certain oh, yeah, period yeah. of time. I haven't had my five-figure month yet. I haven't had my six-figure. Right. I'm not fully booked yet. Right. So, but even so therefore, just I fact, don't belong. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. success or yeah. the lack of success yeah. can trigger a stress response, can activate you. Mm. And if you're looking at the, so that's the, the sort of the fit inside the fawn side, let's say from a marketing perspective, you put something, you put something out there and maybe like a family member doesn't like it, or um, you get a troll, you get somebody who has negative feedback on what you say and your, and your response is, oh shit, 
or your coach, really your coach says something and you're like, oh shit, I did it wrong. Or my right. coach is mad at me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, right. So it's like the taking the shiny apple into school. You know, you want to please the teacher. You want to get on the right side of people. Yeah. And both of these are so that you would fit into the tribe when we're talking sort of anthropologically speaking, evolutionarily speaking, so that we'll fit into the tribe. And they're used and they have been used as a way of getting people to obey the rules, be they spoken or unspoken. So this this low level stress response is a, a cultural route to getting behavior of people that actually people want to be around, quote unquote, people who are in the tribe. But the issue is that now things have moved on where this response is being preyed upon and extended. So if you are not fitting it, you don't have the right trainers, you're going to get bullied. You don't have the right so-and-so, you don't, you know, you're not fitting in, you're not pleasing everybody. And this is where it starts to become quite interesting with neurovariance as well, because this happens quite early on in life. You're not doing the right behavior. If you have any kind of neurovariance, you are not doing, quote unquote, the coach, the culturally acceptable behavior from a very, very early age, which means that this stress response is going to be activated and stronger from a very, very early age. The step up from the fawn or the fit in stress response is fight or flight. Right. Which so is there, I, before we move on to fight or flight, I want to just to take a moment to acknowledge how often fawn or fit in, as you call them, come up in marketing and how a giant percentage of the things that my clients bring me to be coached on and about their marketing I, are either fawn stress response issues or fit in stress response issues. We gave a couple of, because con- I, I want everybody to not just intellectually understand that and move on, but really think about, oh, wow, like this is exactly how this shows up in my life over and over and over again. When, even when you're writing a piece of copy, I think we are, we have multiple layers of awareness where we are both unconsciously thinking, I hope this doesn't offend so-and-so, or this is going to be acceptable to so-and-so. And there might be unconscious layers of that going on. And there's conscious layers of you actively thinking, I, I hope this sounds good to whoever, right? Like, or I hope they, so there's a lot of like people pleasing, right? Happening in something as simple as writing like one little piece of social media copy, right? And, and I think it's really important as well for it to be like really heavily underlined that this is neurological. This is not your fault. Yeah. It's not your this character or personality. Brain. It is like uh-huh. literally how all of our brains are wired. So right. I, I, I just want to highlight that this, that's how it shows up. Like I want to please them. I want them to think that I'm doing well. I, th- I want them to approve of me. I, I love that you brought that up, Sally. It's not, it's not, you. It's it's not your personality. Yeah. It's not your morality. It's not anything. It's how your brain is wired to protect you. Every single one of us. If I say this, that's really going to get them to come for me. Or if I, 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 I want to tell them all these nice things about coaching, but I don't want to make a, a direct offer because then it's, it's, I'm going to, they're going to notice that I'm in business, <laughs> you know, yeah. or I'm going to, it's such sneaky ways this shows up. I'm going to market. I'm going to talk about coaching, but on my business page, because on my personal page, people might be like, what is she doing? That's not the Sally we know. She's a coach now. What is that? I don't know what <laughs> yeah, that what the hell? is. Right. And then, so there it is at the sticking out the tallest poppy syndrome where I'm going to attract yeah. attention 
And so we have this inner war between the part of us, if you want to market, like that's literally, we have to attract attention, right? That's like marketing is attracting attention and, and asking for people's attention. And then on the, on the other hand, your brain's like, if you attract attention, you're going to die, right? So, right. But that's, that's exactly the thing. Right. And, and actually, I think your container is so beautiful as an example of this, because the people who are in joyful marketing, the people who are in your mastermind are stretching themselves for authenticity. They're stretching themselves to be, to have an opinion. Yeah. And if you have an opinion, you know, as, as you teach us, you know, if you have an opinion, some people are going to love it. They're your people. Some people aren't, they're not your people, but holy crap, you're not fitting in. If you have an opinion and some people don't like it, you are the tallest puppy. And that is incredibly triggering for your brain. Right. It really activates your central nervous system. And I I think, you know, particularly when, when you've got people who are, I wouldn't say that we're nonconformists, but we are certainly kind of stretching for our own individuality. Yeah. We are stretching to find our voices. We're stretching to embody and live how we coach and coach how we live, to be working role models to put into practice that that we coach on. Yeah, to have that congruence in in what we say and what we live in, yeah. If you see the world where the more congruent you are to you, the less congruent you are to culture. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm then we have this massive trigger. And your body thinks you're going to die. Your body genuinely thinks you are under threat. Yeah. That's, that is the point of the central nervous system. It's like you're under threat. And I mentioned earlier on about the, the kind of the coup that goes on between the 4% and the 96%. And there is this little thing in the brain called an amygdala, which is like, I imagine him, I don't know if you ever watched the Thomas the Tank Engine. Well, you probably will coming up now. You're, you're going to watch so much Thomas the Tank Engine. You're going to be like, a professional. Oh no. <laughs> <But> there's this <laughs> there's this controller and he decides which railway line the train goes on. So if you think of this little part of your brain, this amygdala t- sucks all of the data from the world, it's like a hoover for all of the things that are going on, the noise, the smells, the sound, take everything in from your senses. This is neuroception, not perception. All the data comes in. And this little controller, train track controller, is like, okay, life is good. Life is fine. All of this data can go off to the prefrontal cortex to be filtered, to be thought about. You can go be imaginative over there. You can be like super creative. You can figure out what you want to do in your future. You can daydream. You can rest. You can do like whatever. But if it senses that something isn't safe, if it senses a threat, it slams on that change of direction and all of that data goes straight into your unconscious brain. Mm. it goes to the parts of your brain that are really good at keeping you alive mm-hmm. and it shuts shut down everything else well well you say that actually but there's so much that's held in that unconscious brain all pre-programming i like to call it pre-programming so prefrontal cortex being fully no, formed when your brain is is in survival mode in that like we do this or we die right like when you're in mm. that mode it's not the time for creative thinking it's not the time for existential musing it's just like <laughs> sorry yes i see what you mean that's what i was talking yes about. you're right yeah yeah you know sort of yeah looking at naval fluff it's not it's not the time for that it is yeah, yeah. you know don't worry about which pair of trainers to put on just start running yeah exactly yeah. and you head out the door kind of stayed left 
But also within that unconscious brain is part of the brain rather is really, really thick, old strategies that we've used to survive. So you will recognize that you are your body is telling you that you are under threat, even if you are dissociated with your body, because you will be back in old programming. So things that you thought you dealt with, behaviors mm-hmm. that you'd thought that you dealt with. It's this part of your brain that people would talk about when they say, oh God, that was so out of character for them to do that. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't, I don't understand how, I mean, I know them. They would never do something like that. People do things that are so out of character. Because their prefrontal cortex isn't the boss anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not in charge. So what's it's, coming up is, is something, you know, way older, way more, I don't want to say exactly. primitive, but like, yeah. It is Primal, like the, maybe, the yeah. number one priority yeah, yeah. is keep you alive. I don't care how I do that. Yeah. I don't care who you piss off. I don't care about fitting in or fawning anymore. Like we are just in survival. This yeah. is not, you know, this is, yeah, this is really primal. And I think when at this point people start to try and thought work their way out of it. So give us an example of some a time in marketing or selling where this might happen. When you don't make offers, for example, mm-hmm. let's say you have gone through. So the garbage challenge is really good. You have the garbage challenge, which is, is it, it's a hundred posts in 30 days. I think it is. is that yeah. Right? So, so this is something we do in Joyful Marketing. We practice showing up and picking up space in the world where if, if you're at a space, at a point in your sort of business journey where it's like painful, if you're taking like five hours to make a post, this is a challenge for you. It's like the sort of the intention is to override your inner perfectionist sort of instinct and to teach your brain that you're going to live and that you're going to survive and you might even have fun and connect with people and sign some clients <laughs> if you just lower the expectation in your in your own brain about what each post is supposed to be like let it be i call it garbage a garbage challenge sort of in a tongue in cheek way in that you have to learn how to allow each post each email, each video, whatever, to be garbage, as in you're not expecting it to be amazing, life-changing, you know, excellent, A+, plus. but you're like, I did it. It's got English words in it. It's posted. It's shared. It's out there. And you do 100 of those in 30 days. That's a challenge. That's what we call the garbage challenge. For Just for context, it's something that we do inside Joyful Marketing. It's one of the most one of the things that people have the most fun with. So uh, what are we talking about? All right. So when people make <laughs> offers doing the garbage challenge... Yeah, so the, that is kind of like the antidote to perfectionism, really, isn't it? Through through practice, but I've noticed within people posting within in joyful marketing, and then I find it within myself as well. The concept of doing that, I was like, hell no, hell yeah, no. because if it if it isn't something that and it gets couched in such nobility, if it isn't something that I'm going to be proud of, it isn't if it isn't something that in ten years time I'm going to look back and think that excellent work. If it isn't something that X, Y, and Z, then I'm not going to do it. Or you put something out there oh, and, and people you torture themselves with, is this providing value? Right? Like yes. we, that's another sort of like the, the, the mask of nobility. We want it to be helpful. We want it to be valuable. And that's the, exactly the same reasoning that makes people take five hours crafting a post. It's, it's a, just another guise of perfectionism. It's another way to, for you to beat yourself up and say, well, that wasn't good enough. Right? Like 
however you define being valuable, right? It sounds so good. Be valuable, be, be helpful, but then you can really use it against yourself. You can, and being valuable and being helpful, if that's, each of those things can be done from a place of safety mm. or a place of kind of panic and fear and threat. Yes. 100%. So you can be doing exactly the same thing on both sides of the, of the wall, for want of a better expression. And one of them is going to feel great, might be a little bit scary, but you know that you are safe. You know that you can find and come back to your own sense of safety. The other one is I am out there and I'm going to, and I've seen, I've watched this happen and I might've done it myself a couple of times. Is that whole, that Nike thing, you know, just do it, you know, force your way through it. Just keep going, keep going. And eventually you'll build up a tolerance. Well, well, you might build up a tolerance for throwing yourself under the bus. Is that what you want to build up your tolerance for? Or do you want to build up strategies of developing safety mm. and pushing it? So I use this example of, I, I'm outside a lot. I walk my dog a lot. I do almost all of my IGTV little videos are when I'm walking outside with the dog. And I had this little section of IGTV videos, which is called lessons from my lab, lessons from my Labrador, things that I observe the dog doing or that happen when I'm with the dog. And there we go. And I did this one on safety and it was in response to a client's feeling like she was kind of flaking out because she's like, I just want to be safe. I just want to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I was like, then don't, don't do it. You're allowed to feel safe. It's like, if I don't do it, I won't achieve the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just crazy pants. Who taught, you know, why would you think that? Have you ever tried a different way? No, but this is how I've achieved the things in the past mm. is by being mean and by bullying myself and by basically creating this threat to herself that her action to escape the threat was to change the circumstance to get the thing done Mm -hmm. so that she didn't feel the threat anymore and I was like whoa let's take a couple of steps backwards here so when I'm out walking with the dog she moves away from me and she comes back to me and she moves away from me and she comes back to me and it's usually about the same distance that she moves away so she'll head off not even a minute, maybe 45 seconds or so. And she comes back and she touches her nose to my hand. I'm her safety. I'm her base. And then she'll go off in a different direction and she'll come back. I'm her safety. I'm her base. And I like using this as an example because she still gets to explore to her limits of where she feels comfortable. And she comes back and touches base. But the base is always moving in the direction that she is pushing her limits, that she is exploring to the edges. So if I'm walking down a road, every time she comes back to touch base with safety, I am in a different place, but I am still her safety. That's genius. So that's like, people think that if they have to keep touching base with their safety, they're never going to make progress or they're always going to be circling in the same, in the same place, but it's not true. Yeah. It is the safety. You cannot... I don't care what anybody says. You cannot grow, personally evolve to the extent that you may want to if you don't do that from safety. That is not the same as sitting in a bedroom doing nothing, which is like this kind of polar view that people, oh, if I'm safe, then I then I won't do anything. Right. What works to that? You'll move in the direction that you want to and you'll come back to safety and recover. 
And then you'll move in the direction that you want to in your company. So when you're in safety, you can then analyze the data. You can then be the watcher. You can then do thought work because you're in your prefrontal cortex. You're safe. You're not in survival mode. I am in love with this idea. I would bet that lots of people listening are either feel like I'm just in like sitting on my bed and just, you know, with the blankets pulled up and I don't know what to do. And I just feel frozen. I'm not doing anything and I'm judging myself for it. So I, they're either in that mode a lot of the time, or actually they're probably in that mode a lot of the time. <laughs> okay. Or they might have memories of, I, I ventured out and did this thing. I was courageous one time. And then this horrible thing happened, you know, somebody, you left a trolling comment. I made, uh, I gathered up all of my courage and made an offer, and nobody responded it. And my my body had such a stressful reaction to it that I don't want to go near that again, right? And so yeah. I, I'm betting that a lot of people find themselves in that place. I I've set a goal last time and I didn't hit it. I don't know three months in a row, and now I don't even want to set goals anymore. So I'm I'm sort yeah. of metaphorically in that like sitting on the bed. I don't you know that that sort of position again. So. How yeah. do you take meaningful, skillful, sort of, how do you do that, like sort of exploring, right? Yeah. Get out of bed and do that exploring. And then how do you know when it's time to come back and touch base with your safety? And how do you do that in, in sort of pragmatic terms? If it's okay with you, I'd like to look at it the other way around. Sure, sure. <laughs> Which is when you are sitting on your bed with a duvet thinking, I don't want to do this again, This is just, because then you are already in a stress response. You're already, your body is under threat and it will continue to anticipate being under threat. So you're not in actual so, safety. You're still in threat. You're just on your bed yeah. and in threat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm, and, yeah. and yes. So how I like to explain it is everything is in cycles, Every, like breathing in, out, life, born, die. Everything is in cycles. For women, there's a monthly cycle. For um, men, there's a daily cycle. For women, there's also a daily cycle. You know, all, everything cycle. Stress itself also has a cycle. There is activation and then there's recovery. So if you imagine kind of your, like your baseline kind of quote unquote regulated day where your central nervous system is regulated, if you get triggered, you peak up out of that and your central nervous system will kind of take over and then you're in your unconscious mind and it's survival based. You must recover that fully. You must complete that cycle. If you don't complete that cycle, you stay in that activated section, that high activate where you think you've recovered, but you're just tickling along. Pop, 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 pop. And then another trigger comes in and boom, you're back up. And then another trigger comes in and boom, you're back up because you've never fully recovered. So let's say you set a goal and you don't achieve it. What do you do then? I would argue that the recovery way is to be really fucking upset and to cry and to you know do whatever it is. But we're so dissociated from our body that when we don't hit our goal, we try to think our way out of it. It's mm -hmm. all, it's like primacy of thought. There's no embodiment there whatsoever. And what this primacy of thought does is it keeps us in the stress response because we are trying to think our way out of something that is a physical body reaction. So what's, what does that look like? Give me an example of what someone in that position, how that person might try to think their way out of it. I didn't hit my yeah. goal again. And then, so how do they do that? So let's say week, uh, excuse me, month one, let's say it's a month ago, month one, 
they set the goal and they make, they make zero. That's it. £10,000, they make zero. And they have a response to that. Now, that response has probably been building over the month, not just on the day that they looked at their figures, but they will have becoming activated and act more and more activated because they have done something, they have set a goal and they're not going to achieve it. And at the kind of the zenith of that, at the peak of that, they're like, well, okay, I'm not allowed to now feel sad, bad, angry, whatever. I've just got to figure out what it is that I did wrong, mm-hmm. what it is that I didn't see. I need, It's definitely my thoughts because I know that my thoughts control my feelings, which control my actions. So this feeling of feeling like crap or feeling self-doubt, I'm not, I'm, I'm not allowed, like in little bunny ears, I'm not allowed to feel those things because it's my thoughts that are generating that. Yeah. And then these feelings are are creating, you know, the opposite of the result I want. So it's double bad feelings that I'm not allowed to have. And so I have to manage these feelings ASAP by fixing the thoughts that are creating these feelings. And if you're a coach, oh, well, I should know better. Shouldn't be feeling, I should have done better. I should know how to manage. I should, 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 you should all over yourself. So without the without the completion of the cycle, you're going to tickle along up in this activated. So whenever the next month's potential lack of money start coming in, you're making offers. What kind of offers are you making? Because you're in this kind of, I'm, I need to change something to make it right. I need to, what am I doing wrong? There's a blind so spot. You're making I don't know what offers, it is. Which is frightening, yeah. right? So you're, yeah. you're re-triggering yourself because you're not, because of this disembodiment <laughs> and not allowing your body to experience the extent of whatever it is that it's experiencing and validating that and we're staying up in our brain, our body is going, well, we need to send a stronger signal because you're not listening. So the next time this happens, we're going to hit you double hard. So what the body wants- what we did first time around didn't work. When the body says you're not listening, what the body wants is for you to feel the feelings, right? Right. The process that I take my clients through in recovery is very first and foremost is awareness that you're there Mm. because it's- so many people just slam themselves with with thought work or with a change in the things that they're doing or they just took or yes addressing feelings but as something to be fixed Mm, mm, mm. as opposed to something to escape I don't like this it feels awful oh I don't want to feel self-doubt self-doubt is going to make my marketing really really shitty so I need to not be be confident and certain and calm so I have to get rid of all these feelings Yeah. yeah but your body's going no just know that was an awful experience and I'm not sure I want to do it again. And you're putting me straight back into it. And we haven't even recovered from the first one. What the hell are you doing? I don't trust you. The ramping up or the non-completion of cycles, ultimately the very peak of that triangle is actually death. Mm. So when we are in these cycles, our body knows more than us. It knows that if we keep going, like it knows this, it might not be a linear path, but if we keep ramping up these level levels of stress, levels of activation, there is death as an option. So when our primitive brain is going, oh, and there's death, oh, and there's death, there actually is. There actually is. And it's not just being taken out by the friendly neighbor tooth tiger, neighbor tooth, the friendly neighborhood saber tooth tiger. It, because you're, you know, away from the tribe, there is a physiological possibility of death from very, very high levels of activation. When we are in really any kind of stress response, this doesn't have to be 
fight or flight or, you know, stupid, like any kind of stress response. It's knowing that we are. And I know that that sounds really daft, but when thought work isn't working, that's a sign. That's mm-hmm. a symptom. Mm-hmm. When we are feeling panicked or anxious or worried, when we are crying without, well, we don't think without reason, when we are having body responses, and we don't know why, that's a symptom. It means that we're activated and we're not managing it. I didn't know all of this frame and all of this language, but I think what I kind of instinctively kind of felt my way into is noticing when I was feeling triggered by thought work, when thought work doesn't feel like an ally to to my system, right? When it doesn't feel like a comforting, nourishing presence that is my ally, I think at some point I instinctively realized, okay, that's time to put down the thought work because if it's not an ally, if it doesn't, and this isn't intellectualizing what an ally is, oh, you're supposed to, it's supposed to be good for you. That's how you self-coach. But no, like in your body, do you feel, does it make you feel does it make you, your shoulders go down? Does it make you breathe deeper? Does it make you feel more taken care of? Right. And so yeah. I think I stopped during doing thought work in those times, realizing, oh, this isn't, this isn't what's going to help. And I think after that, I saw so many people, so many coaches around me try to persist with thought work, even when it feels like a weapon using yes. against themselves rather than what if the opposite of a weapon is a medicine yeah. ally. Comfy blanket. Yes, exactly. Right. So this is I, I want to. This is me echoing Sally's mess. Sally's message to say. Kind of Sally's mess. I think that's quite that- accurate. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Sally's mess of genius musings. <laughs> Thought work, just like anything else in the world, it's not in the. I want to say like brain body state. Like if you're not in the right nervous system state for it, anything that's meant to be helpful in the world can be weaponized, right? Anything that is meant to be medicinal and can be medicinal can feel toxic and is indeed toxic to your system if deployed in the wrong context, right? When your body wants to, when when your body wants to move through uh, feeling an emotion, when you, when you want to, when something wants to be embodied and you, you slap thought work on it instead, you know, that is taking medicine and using it as a, as a toxin against yourself. So please permission from Sally and I to drop the thought work when it doesn't feel healing to you. That's nothing. It's nothing against thought work. I'm the number one fan of thought work, but anything in the world can be harmful when you're using it to override your own body's wisdom. Yes. Can I, I say that, that right? <laughs> so beautifully, beautifully said. And likewise, I'm I'm a life coach, school certified coach, and I absolutely love thought work. It's brilliant. Yeah. And there are there's a whole body going on. Okay, my friends, that was part one of this conversation. Stay tuned for part two next week. And to get in touch with Sally or to find out how to work with her, follow the links in the show notes. We'll see you next week. 
Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list. Sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 Unsolicited Copy Tips. It's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you. So get on that link in the show notes and I'll see you in your inbox next time.